Please stand again for the reading of God's word. We're in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call in a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of God. Good morning. How are we doing? It's kind of a gloomy day, isn't it? But you guys aren't gloomy. What's that? It's fall. Is it fall? Yeah, this is officially fall, isn't it? Yeah. Well, happy fall. Um, great to be together always. Uh, love seeing you guys. A lot of times I'll take moments during worship just to kind of look around and see your faces, and that is a really centering thing for me and the people I love uh, that we get to gather like this so regularly. It's a, it's a rich blessing. So thanks for being you and uh, being you uh, together. Well, we're in this series. It's our third week in a series in First Peter that will take us through the fall into Christmas time. And we get this really pretty dense passage today. Um, and I want to start with just a very simple question. I think I even put it on my little slide here. Uh, hopefully it's a question that um, it's so simple and yet foundational. <laughs> uh, how do we live well? Right? Hopefully we're asking that question regularly. How, how do we live well? How do we live a life that matters, a life that counts? Uh, we also want to live lives that are fulfilling, right, that uh, bring joy. Everyone in their own ways is probably asking this question in some way. And in a lot of ways, First Peter is um, Peter's answer to this question. But what you learn, and this will be review over the last two weeks, is um, Peter has a very specific perspective about this life that shapes how he thinks we should live well. 
And um, you see it in verse 17 of our passage. Look at verse 17, the last line. He says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Or your, your translation might say, uh, this is the time of your exile. Or uh, your, if you have the NLT, it's your time as temporary residence. So let me show you kind of the visual image that, that Peter is running with. Or this is kind of what I created to, uh, to do what I think. Go! Go. All right, Flannery, I'm going to need you to control the slides. Uh, will you go to the next slide? Sorry, I've lost control over here. There it is. Okay, so here's the timeline of your life. This is, uh, I think this is how First Peter is presented. At some point, you're born, uh, and then you have what, what Peter calls in chapter 1, the new birth, coming to faith in Jesus, becoming a Christian, following Jesus, learning the gospel. And then you have this little period of time from the new birth to your death. And then after that, next slide, we move into what he calls eternal glory. Okay, And so that goes on forever. And so we've got this little sliver of time between our new birth and our death, and then forever. And that little sliver of time, next slide, he calls in our passage, our time as foreigners here. Okay, <laughs> So to the question of how do we live well, Peter would say, well, I want to phrase the question properly. The question is this, how do we live well during our time as foreigners here, during this little sliver of time between the new birth and when Christ returns, where we live in this world as exiles, as temporary residents, as those who don't belong to a permanent home yet until the return of Christ. How do we live well in that? And I think that perspective will shape how we would answer that question, right? Kind of changes the perspective a little bit. How do we live well during our time as foreigners here? Thanks. And there's a lot of answers that Peter's going to give in this letter. But the one I want to focus on this morning is, I, I would argue, the central command of this passage, which is this. Be holy as I am holy. Look at verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But here's the, the verse. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is how we live well. We are God's children. We've been given new birth. We have this inheritance. And as God's kids, we want to imitate our dad. That's the call. Be holy as I am holy. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about holiness a bit. Talk about the pursuit of holiness. And I wonder for you, even as you hear that word holy, like I wonder, it's, it'd be worth just taking stock of how do I respond to that word? Like is that an inviting word for me? Um, does that feel like an overly religious word? Or does that feel like an unattainable word? You know, what, how do I respond to the word if someone says be holy? What, what do I what do I experience in that? And, and what I want to suggest is whatever that kind of conjures up for us, that word holiness is a beautiful word. Ultimately, it is, it is to move towards wholeness. <laughs> it's, it's to move towards goodness and beauty. It's to move towards this way of life that we were actually designed for. Ultimately, it's to move towards the Jesus way of life. It's, it's what will bring great fulfillment. Um, but it is also the great journey of our lives. So I just want to talk about the pursuit of holiness today for a bit. And first, I want to start by saying that um, holiness has a story. 
Okay, holiness is not just a word. Holiness has a history. And in verse 16, where Peter's, he's quoting from Leviticus when he says, be holy for I'm holy. So he's reminding us of the story of holiness, the story of God's dealing with his people Israel in the old covenant, because that's where this whole picture of holiness emerges. And so I want to just remind you of this story first, and then we'll talk more about what holiness looks like in this passage. But I just want to remind you of the story of God and Israel. It's, it's a journey in holiness. So obviously Abraham's descendants right, end up in Egypt, and that lasts for 400 years. And on the latter half of that time, Israel experienced two things. First, we all know that they experienced slavery in Egypt, right? They experienced oppression. They experienced powerlessness. They experienced backbreaking, hard labor under the hot Egyptian sun. So they experienced slavery. But the other thing they also experienced was idolatry. They experienced the idols of Egyptian culture. And they got caught up in all of that. Oh, that's some good bass there. <laughs> and, and we forget that, that when God brought Israel out of Egypt, he didn't bring a bunch of like God-fearing monotheists. It's really clear as you read the story, like these were people that had gotten caught up in the idols of Egypt. It would take them a long time to even believe that there was one true God. So they experienced slavery, but they also experienced idolatry. And what God did is two things. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt, but he also called them out of the idolatry of Egypt. So they experienced his, his compassionate power, right, bringing them out from the, the gods of Egypt, bringing them into the wilderness. But he was also calling them out of the idolatry and the empty ways of life of Egyptian culture. I want to give you a couple verses. When God uh, brings them to Mount Sinai, he enters into this, this new relational covenant with them. So I want to just read, these are some just really foundational moments at Mount Sinai. God says this, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself, and these are great phrases, to be my treasured possession, to be a holy nation. I'll just keep that up there for a second. So th there's such beauty to this. God saw them when no one else saw them. He rescued them to be his treasured possession. You belong to me now. I treasure you. I, you're my people, and I will be your God, and you're a holy nation. The word holy means set apart. I've set you apart for myself. So there was a beauty to that, um, but there were also some, some powerful implications for them. You are to be a holy nation. You're set apart. You belong to me. And that has implications for how you're supposed to live your life. Next one. This is just later. This is how he begins the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Again, beauty. I rescued you. I brought you out of slavery. I removed the burden of that yoke. And you belong to me now. Implication is... No more gods besides me. <laughs> I've brought you to myself. We're in, a, we're in a covenant relationship. And you're called out from all those other gods and other ways of living. You belong to me. And um, so th there's this uh, next one. There's this regular refrain in the book of Leviticus, which goes like this. Be holy as I'm holy. I've called you to myself, and I'm a holy God, and so I want you to be a holy people. Next one. And as you read, so Leviticus 19 is the, the main chapter where this refrain comes. And as you look at what that means, what becomes clear is holiness 
is supposed to be expressed in all the nooks and crannies of daily life. Okay, let me just mention these things. This is what holiness looks like in that chapter. Respecting parents, turning from false gods, generosity to the poor, honesty in your business dealings, justice in the courts, not gossiping, letting go of anger against your neighbor, sexual purity. I'm just, instead of reading the whole chapter, listening to you, this is what holiness means. All that to say, it is daily life lived in all the regular ways you live, trying to imitate your God because you are children of a holy God. Thanks. And so holiness has a story. This journey that Israel had with Yahweh belonging to the living God among the nations. And my main point in saying this is that story was beautiful because this God was compassionate and gracious. He, he had noticed them when no one else had. He had rescued them. But that journey was also gnarly because he's the living God of the universe. And he's not a God to be trifled with. And he shows up at Sinai in, in you know, smoke and booming from heaven, lightning, thunder. He is a consuming fire. He's passionate for you. He's jealous for you, not in the sense that he's insecure, <laughs> but that he wants your, your heart completely. And Israel learned, and it was a struggle, the beauty and the seriousness of life with this holy God. And Peter is drawing on that story in quoting from Leviticus to his readers. And he's reminding them, you have been rescued from, from slavery to sin. And you've also been called out of an old way of life. You now belong to God. And there's implications for that. And it's this, be holy because your loving and gracious God is holy. And kids imitate their parents. So imitate your father. All right? So that's, the, that's all by way of backdrop, the story of holiness. So now let's look a little bit from this passage of what does holiness look like, okay? And that word I mentioned, it means set apart. And so I think the way we can ask this question is uh, holiness looks like two things. One is it's being set uh, apart from certain things, being called out of certain things, and then it's being set apart towards certain things, okay? And I want to just talk through this, what we see in this passage. Peter focuses mainly on what we've been set apart from in this passage. So let's look at what have we been set apart from in this passage. Um, look at verse 14. There's about three things that he mentions. First one, verse 14, as obedient children, here's the first thing we've been set apart from, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, Holiness means being set apart from the evil desires you used to have. That word desires, I don't know what your translation says. Um, cravings would be a good, uh, a good uh, expression. Passions. It's those, those fleshly desires that we all have to some extent that were part of a past life. Okay, So uh, unhealthy sexual desire would be something like that. Unhealthy desires for food, for alcohol. Kind of these just these fleshly desires that we have as human beings. Desires for power, desires for recognition. Peter's saying, when you become a believer, you bring those desires under control. You don't continue to coddle and feed those desires. You actually put those desires to death because you now belong to God. You're set apart from those desires. Look at verse 18. Here's another thing we've been set apart from. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, and here's the phrase, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. 
Holiness is being set apart from an empty way of life. Okay, these were pagan people before they were Christians. They grew up in first century Roman society, which was a pretty amazing place in some ways, but there were some empty and futile ways of life that people lived by. And every culture has its own version of things that everyone's pursuing out there, that the world's pursuing, but like from an eternal perspective are empty and futile. And Peter's saying, you belong to God now. You are called out of those empty and futile pursuits. Let me mention a few. How about a life, I mean, we're in Orange County, a life spent chasing the almighty dollar, right? That's something that people spend their whole lives after, going after being rich. And in the end, I think what we learn is actually that is an empty, futile pursuit. Because money, turns out, doesn't actually bring true, lasting joy and happiness and fulfillment. It's so tempting. But in the end, it's, it's futile. It's empty. It's not fully and everlastingly satisfying. We're called out of that. Or how about this one? A life spent um, <laughs> trying to hold on to physical beauty or trying to enhance physical beauty at all costs. Okay? That is a big one in this area, right? We spend lots of money, lots of time, lots of energy, right? Trying to do this. And in the end, it's empty. It's, it's futile. It doesn't bring lasting joy and satisfaction. Or another one, just constantly trying to protect an image of ourselves or curate an image of ourselves to others online, in person, and trying to build up this image that we so badly want to keep and hold. That is so tempting, and in the end, it's quite empty and futile. Or how about just these things we do that, like, when you look at that, like, timeline thing, you're like, gosh, that's probably a waste of time, right? I mean, all the time we spend, some of us are, like, just big online gamers, you know, and, like, I love a video game, but, like, a life spent gaming is kind of empty, unless you can make a lot of money doing it, you know. Um, or just, you know, a life of, of YouTube surfing, which is so easy and tempting, right? A life of just, just streaming pleasure, like so tempting, such easy, low-hanging fruit, but you step back and you go, oh, that is like in the grand scheme of things, those things are so empty and futile relative to uh, things of, of more substance, okay? And, and Peter's saying, you've been called out of that when the living God grabbed a hold of your life. The cravings of your past and the futile and empty ways of the culture around you. And then there's one other thing in this passage. I want to give you a full sense of this passage that we've been called out of. And it's these certain kinds of relational postures. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, okay? These are relational postures when pride, when selfish ambition is what's driving us. These are the kinds of things, the ways we react and interact with one another. Um, And Peter's saying, you've been called out of all of that, okay? You still with me? Okay. All that to say, there is a life that belongs to your past. And Peter's saying, you've been called out of that. That no longer belongs to you. That is not your future, and it isn't to be your presence. Your present. That is Egypt, okay? Or as Peter uses, that's Babylon, okay? And you no longer belong to Egypt. You no longer belong to Babylon. You belong to God. So holiness means 
being called out from those things, leaving those behind, moving towards your future, which is life with God. You are set apart. Let me just stop there and, and just say, I feel, this is just me talking, I feel like the church in America in many ways has lost a sense of what it means to be called to holiness, like true holiness in, in daily life. And what I see is, we, and I feel this myself for myself, we want to have our cake and eat it too. <laughs> we want the forgiveness of the gospel, we want the goodness of the gospel, and we want the pleasures and the pursuits of this world. And we kind of want to have it together. And I'll say there's a particular version of this that I think is really tempting, maybe more so in Orange County, but I think a lot of us, um, I don't know how to say, we want to be cool Christians, like, right? Like, we want to, we don't want to be like prudes, right? We don't want to be like the goody kind of naive, like, I want to be a Christian who is a Christian, but who's cool and who's edgy and the guy who swears, you know, a lot and maybe drinks too much and, and, and kind of can relate to everything and knows everything that's going on. Like, that's, that's really tempting, I think, especially in this culture. Who wants to be the guy who's just kind of, I don't know, just too innocent, too, too naive, too whatever, goody and, um, and that's, that's really tempting for a lot of people. I'll just speak as a man. That's very tempting as a man. Maybe just as tempting uh, for a woman. And um, I get that. Like, I can feel that pull. But I'll just say (laughs) what gets lost when we do that is holiness. Uh, And we get really comfortable with sin. And we get really comfortable with the futile ways of the world. And we, we start to think that's just what is normal Christianity, and I think Peter would say that's not normal Christianity. It's certainly not biblical Christianity. We're called to holiness. And we're not going to be perfect. Um, but do we see this passionate pursuit in our lives? Or do we see this comfortable mixture of church and the world? And I, I, as I, I thought about this, I, I just want to read to you um, kind of a, a holiness description in Ephesians. And I'm not even going to comment on it much. I just want you to sit with it and go, as I hear the way Paul talks about life as a Christian, like, have I kind of lost my way a little bit? Like, would I ever talk like this? Okay, so let me just read to you, Flanner, if you don't mind. This is just portions of Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, okay? Here's Paul's description of holiness. I don't know if he even uses that word, but here's some examples. Don't let, any, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for, for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Next slide. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Why? Because these are improper for God's holy people. There's the word holy. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather, thanksgiving. Next slide. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, there's just a, just a sampling of holiness in, in the way he just kind of plainly describes that. And I thought, wow, like, if someone said that out loud to me, would I, like, accuse them of being a Pharisee today? Would I be like, dude, you're overboard. You're, you're go- you've gone too far. Um, 
Or have I lost a sense of what a holy, a holy calling is? I mean, I'll, just w- one of those, you know, talks about not a hint of sexual morality. Wow, that's a tough one. I'll, I'll say that. There, there's a, a pastor once said a phrase that has stuck with me that I've thought a lot about. So this is just by one example of sexual immorality. He said, um, sex is not a spectator's sport. And that that's kind of sounds like a flippant comment, but it's a really profound comment, actually. And, and I think he's absolutely right. What he's saying is God never designed sex to be observed. <laughs> he designed sex to be experienced within a very particular context. And so there's one example that, you know, we watch so many things. We watch, we observe things all the time and so casually do that. And that was never God's intent for that sacred and beautiful thing. And that's just one, one small example. But have we grown casual um, with these things, with this pursuit of holiness that God calls us to? Peter's very clear. You've been called out from that life to a new life with God. Okay? So that's what we've been called out of. And then what have we been called towards? And really, there's so much we've been call- called towards. Paul, or Peter, really mentions only one specifically in this passage. So um, I'll read it to you. And what it is, is we've been called towards love. <laughs> that's what holiness looks like. Holiness ultimately looks like love. Look at verse 22. This is what we've been called into. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. This is the positive essence of holiness. It is a life of love. Love people. Serve people. Our lives find their greatest meaning as we become more and more loving. And really, if we're to be imitators of our Father, Scripture says God is love. That is the essence of who he is. Not only love, he's lots of things, but God is love. And so as we become children of our Father, we become increasingly people who are called out of all these other things, empty, selfish things, towards love, towards loving one another, towards serving one another, towards putting one another ahead of ourselves, that that is what the good life is. That is what a a well-lived life looks like. It's a life of love. Um, There's happened to be quite a few memorial services lately, and and there's more coming up. So I've been a part of these, and I'm struck all the time at a memorial service. As I step back, and you know, you always have this opportunity to step back and reflect on your own life, right? And what will the legacy of my life be? Uh, and it's never, you never come up with those futile things. I wish I had made a bit more money. I wish I had spent a little more money on my face. You know, I, I'd wish I'd spent an extra four hours at work every week. It's never those things. It's always, I wish I loved the people, I wish I had loved my, my kids better. I wish I'd been a better friend. I, I wish I left people with this wake of loving acts. That, that's what a well-lived life looks like. And we all know that. Everybody in the world knows that. It's just hard to do it all the time in the moment. But that's what we're called toward, these lives of love. Called out of a former life into lives of love. All right, one more thing I want to talk about on this passage um, Peter not only describes what holiness look like, looks like, but he, he calls us to a certain posture that we need to pursue holiness. Actually, excuse me, two, uh, two postures. On the one hand, there's, this, there's a seriousness. There's a reverence that we, we, we pursue holiness with. But there's also, the second one is there's this gratitude and this joy. And you really need both to pursue holiness well. So let me show you that in this passage. 
Peter mainly focuses on the seriousness. This is a pretty hard-hitting passage, I, I recognize. Um, it's just what it is what it is. But look at all these postures that Peter calls us into. Look at verse, this is the serious side. Verse 13, where he starts. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. There's a, there's a sobriety required. He's saying, don't be inebri- inebriated with the world. Don't fall asleep. Okay? Stay awake. Stay alert. Stay sober. That's the kind of mindset you have to have if you're going to pursue holiness. It's an intentionality. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in what? Reverent fear. Okay? The story of Israel, Mount Sinai, thunder, lightning, booming voice from heaven. They experienced awe and wonder at who Yahweh was. And Peter is saying, even as New Covenant Christians, you should experience that sense of reverent awe for who God is. He's an awesome God, and you need that reverent awe. That is part of the motivation to pursue holy lives. And then he goes on to talk about, I love this in this passage, he reminds us, you are walking on sacred ground. What God has done in your life is sacred territory, and you need to remember that. Okay, look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from your ancestors. What was it from? But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. He's reminding them, man, think about how you were saved, how you were forgiven. It wasn't like someone just showed up to God and said, like, here's a hundred bucks. Would you let this person off the hook? That's not how your salvation worked, right? It was from the the eternal son of God, his precious blood, the most precious being in the universe, the most glorious being in the universe, gave his life to ransom you, to bring about your salvation. This is sacred ground. Don't treat the son of God lightly. It is a beautiful and precious thing. It's sacred territory through which you've been saved. And remember that. And not only the son of God, here's more sacred territory. Look at this. Look at verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And then he quotes the Old Testament. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He's saying, you were, you were changed by a message, and that message wasn't like a flash-in-the-pan podcast, right? It wasn't like a, some, some random self-help book that popped up here and then was gone in two years. It, it, it's the eternal word of God that's always existed, the word that said, let there be light. And, and his word, the, the message of salvation about the cross of Jesus Christ, that is, that's a big thing that has been planted in you. It's that eternal message that's been planted. All that to say, this is sacred ground you're standing on. And so live with a sense of awe and reverence, sobriety, seriousness, because these are big matters. 
And again, I just want to say, my, my fear is that the American church, as I at least see it, is that we so often, we treat sacred things so casually now, right? Things that are, that are, that are so deep and rich, we just treat them casually. And I think this is especially hard for people like me if you grew up in the church, right? If all you've ever known is church, you grow up among sacred things, and so you're, you're, you're like, the, uh, you know, like the Catholic altar boy who's like stealing wine you know, from the altar. And drink, you know, it's like treating sacred things casually. But it's hard not to because we're so overly f- familiar with these things. And so we, we, need, we need God to, to wake us up again to the, to the beauty and, and the reality of these things. Um, amen, right? I mean, I'll, I'll just say something I see a lot. Again, so it's kind of a negative message, but it's a hard passage, so. There you go. You don't get negative, Dave, that often, do you? Um, I feel like we get casual, and then there's so many people, especially who grew up in the church, that we become cynical um, about faith. And I just want to say cynicism um, is a really lazy attitude. It's, it's lazy, uh, and, and it's, um, it's easy. But it, cynicism doesn't lead to holy lives. <laughs> it just doesn't. And, and yet cynicism is such a temptation. I, I feel that so much. And so the, it requires us to step back and to, to if we need to confess that, Lord, I've, I've become cynical about sacred things. I need you to, you know, open my eyes again to the beauty of, of what you've done. All that to say there's this posture of awe, reverence, sobriety, seriousness. This is sacred. And so I want to take my life and I want to pursue holy ser- holiness seriously. But then I'll end with this, because that's not the only posture. There's also this posture of joy and gratitude. And that's where Peter ends uh, this passage. So look at verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. I'll end with these two verses. He says this. I love this image. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Um, newborn babies are awesome in so many ways. But one thing that, the thing that, that Peter's t- pointing out here is they have a single-minded focus in terms of their source of sustenance, right? Like they, there's one thing that they want. And here's the beauty. It's really amazing how God has designed this. Mom has everything, that this baby needs. Like it's a one-stop shop for the first year of life. Like it truly is an amazing thing that, that you only need this one source of something. This has everything your body needs. And the baby knows that. And so there's this single-minded pursuit, this, this, this focus on something that is entirely sufficient for them. And that's a beautiful picture of, of what Peter's calling them to. This single-minded pursuit of your God, you're called, don't mix that up with all the futile ways of the culture. Let go of that. that you, you don't need that. He is all-sufficient for you. He has everything you need. So pursue him with that single-minded, holy focus. And I love how it ends. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And they had tasted that the Lord is good. And we 
have tasted that the Lord is good. We've seen his acts of faithfulness in our lives. We've experienced his forgiveness and his mercy. And so Peter is drawing all that. Remember all of the goodness of the Lord. Remember how he has sustained you and he will sustain you. And be filled with gratitude. Be filled with joy and let that gratitude and that joy also be the thing that propels you into a holy life. Because the truth is, if you only have that first side, it won't work. Fear um, is not a sustainable motivation for holiness. Like, it's pretty powerful motivation for a while, but you can't sustain it. We need, we need reverence, but we also need joy and gratitude. And that is what Scripture consistently calls us to, this fully-orbed set of motivations. Reverence, awe, fear. Yes, and joy, gratitude, grace, forgiveness. And Christians tend to focus on one side or the other, but the New Testament writers, like, it's all together all the time because our God is a God who's rescued us and redeemed us and compassionate and gracious, and our God is the living God who is not to be trifled with. He's all those all at the same time. Amen. And so we need to hold those together that we might be God's holy children imitating our Father. All right, so let's do this. Let's, let's go to God in prayer. I've said probably too much, certainly a lot, long enough. And, um, well, why don't we go to prayer, and I'll, I'll just lead us on, on a way that we, I think we can respond to this. Let's, let's pray together, and then we'll respond in song as well. So what, what I would invite you to do right now with the Lord is, is just consider your life and... Um, Maybe there's one issue in your life or one area of your life that this conversation kind of triggers or that, you know, pops up for you. Uh, maybe something where you feel like, ah, I am not pursuing holiness, wholeness um, in this area. And w- let's do this. Um, you know, change is really hard, I've learned. It's really hard to change your life. And um, the gospel is, actually, we can't really change our lives very well. And that is God's business. But what we can do is we can bring things before the Lord. Um, we can confess, which is simply to you know, just speak the truth about our reality to him. And we can invite him into those places. We can stop holding him off or trying to run from him. And we can say, Lord, this is the truth about me right now. I don't know how to change this. Um, I'm not sure if I can change this, but I invite you into this. And then his spirit begins to work in us, and he brings forgiveness. He brings freedom where there's maybe shame or guilt or fear. And he begins the slow process of transformation, of healing for us. So let's do that right now. Let's just take a moment to offer one particular area of our lives to him. And to invite him into that. And then just to entrust it to him. Ultimately, it's actually his work, not ours, that will be long-lasting. So um, why don't we just take some silence to do that work with the Lord. And then we will actually just sing these songs uh, into those areas of our lives.